Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. time to seasons past when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday fighting for one more first down one more yard gain one final score that would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron grapes welcome to gridiron grapes football history and its memorabilia on the gridiron grapes <laughs> publishing and broadcasting network in conjunction with slick enterprises we're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'm Bob Swift, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at RedironGreatsMagazine.com We're sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards Check out their website For the best selection of football cards And memorabilia At MSBSportsCards.com And we're also sponsored by BST Auctions Check out their website and their upcoming auction this fall At BSTAuctions.com It is at this time I would like to introduce My co-host who's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also in Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Larkin. He hails from Portland, Oregon. I'd like to welcome to the show, Joe Squire. Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Good evening to you, Captain. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm very good, Joe. I'm very good. We, we've got a bit of summer back, nice warm day here in Connecticut, and it uh, looks like a beautiful evening coming up, and uh, we're doing what we love doing, talking about football I, I, history and memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats I, I gotta, publishing and broadcasting. And I, I, I got to say, Captain, every time you do your football, I, I can't even do it justice, but every time you do it, I just, you, if you can imagine me just smiling, that Cheshire Cat grin, and shaking my head, just laughing. I absolutely love it. I, I've had several of our listeners say that's one of their favorite parts of the show and how I can I keep we could make, that, yeah. that going as long as I yeah. can amazes me also yeah. at the same time. I think we could uh, I think we could make some money turning that into a ringtone. <laughs> that would that'd be helpful. That would be helpful. <laughs> but on a, on a more serious note, and I know all our listeners and friends and family have been following two devastating hurricanes, Harvey that ripped into Houston, Texas, and parts of Louisiana, and then Hurricane Irma, uh-huh. which which basically damaged uh, several of my beloved Caribbean islands. Those people who know me know Brenda and I love vacationing in the Caribbean. Two of our most favorite islands are the Turks and Caicos Islands and and Guila. Mm-hmm. Both damaged very, very severely. Uh, a lot of people asked us where we were going in January. I said, I have a fully booked vacation to Anguilla, and uh, we're uncertain what's going to happen because when you go to Anguilla, if you fly out of JFK in New York, you're flying into St. Martin, and then you either take a boat or you take a little uh, prop plane from St. Martin oh. into Anguilla. So obviously, St. Martin's airport is down for, I don't know how long it'll be down for, so we're going to play it by ear, but we're trying to get into tonight's show, as you and I both briefly talked about, 
during the week. What happens when there's a natural disaster, such as a hurricane, a tornado, and collections are lost forever? And we're both curious to really find out, and we won't find out for quite a while, how many collections have been damaged or ruined from these hurricanes? Joe, I'll hand it off to you. Yeah, and I, I came, obviously I'm an electrical contractor, and we do a lot of work for insurance companies. So probably three, four times a week I'm in somebody's home that has been damaged, you know, by fire or flood, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I'm constantly seeing, you know, the, the damage around that. One time in the, you know, 15 or so years I've been doing insurance work, have I come across a sports card collection laying out in the yard, half burned. And it was, oddly enough, a 1984 Topps football set. You know, and I, was, I just wow. I knelt to the ground wow. and, you know, and, and you know, and cried a little tear for seeing my 1984 Steve Largent card number 196 laying there. Uh, and, uh, wow. But I, I've wow. also been called probably three times over the years as a consultant for, you know, for, hey, somebody said their sports card collection was damaged and they want $100,000 for it. Can you help? So I've been yeah. a paid yeah. consultant yeah three times by by people to you know you know to uh you know to help them value a you know value a collection but i don't know you know what reminded me of this carl lambadella wrote an article probably about you know eight nine years ago and he talked about the you know you know the paper drives you know of you know of the wars vacuuming up scrap paper including cards that always that always piqued my interest you know well, I always, I've always maintained that I know we've talked about this on the podcast over the years. With the paper drives, with all the, you know, natural disasters that took place right up uh-huh. through World War II, think about how many football programs, Street and Smiths, football, you know, illustrated annuals of football, football programs, ticket yep. stubs, cards, are, were just gone. And I've always maintained, and, and I think it finally got a little uh, a little traction over the past five years, that people finally started saying, hey, you're right, there isn't a lot of stuff 1945, from 1869 to 1945 in the area of football. Totally. I don't care what anybody says. You could go to totally. any show you want, and, and, I, and I do prove it from the National this past year, there wasn't a lot of stuff that was pre-World yeah. War II there. You know, and because of that, I really believe that area of collecting to me has so so much more value, so much more historical value. But really, how many are, yeah, how many are still there? I mean, realistically, how many 35 national sets? Well, first of all, yeah, yeah, exactly. First of all, take like a program. Take a program or a ticket stub from, let's take a Red Grange, you know, because I'm trying to put together a program and a ticket stub for every game Red Grange played in college. All right, I just said it on air. That's my that's my, my BHAG for my collection. Mm-hmm. All right, so, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, how many people went to the game? Let's say it was a popular game and 40,000 people went to the game. Uh, mm-hmm. How many people saved their ticket or their program versus throwing it in the trash? Uh you know, so take a game from 1920 full save to the ticket or threw it away. How many people came home and put the ticket in a safe spot? And over the next 90 years, how many people, how many grandkids or children didn't accidentally throw it out because dad, you know, kept it in the book that, you know, they donated to the library? Right. How many floods right. and fires right. have taken have taken some cards? I mean, first of all, people threw them out. And then they've been lost to just, you know, people throwing them out on accident or, you know, being handed down and then floods and fires. And you just wonder mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. year the odds, the odds of a 90-year-old piece of paper making it another year, you know, get smaller and smaller. Right, right. And I, and I really believe very strongly that the whole market for pre-World War II items in football, both college and professional, is very, very undervalued based upon what is actually still in existence today. And and to me, Absolutely. I don't care if you have a you have a, a fair to good nineteen thirty five chickle set or you have a near mint mm-hmm. PSA whatever, you know, eight or nine set, it's rare. Yep. I don't care what anybody yep. says. I don't care if you have uh, a bunch of college programs from the twenties along with ticket mm-hmm. stubs, they're rare. 
And again, I, when I was in collecting very um, or, or more more active collecting Yale football programs, I had a bunch of 1920 programs. And mm-hmm. uh, and this is I'm going back to the early 1990s now. And I had several collectors who wanted a couple of my my programs, and I offered them to them. They did not like the price I was offering because I was basically, as they told me, you know, you got prices of the future. I said, yeah, but how many are still in existence today? And what I sold them back in the early 90s for was cheap compared to what you could try to find them today for. You know, literally double double and triple the price type of situation. So realistically, all that that memorabilia, and you know quite well with with your, your Grange collection, I feel is very undervalued to say the least. And it should not surprise anybody to pay a yeah. substantial amount of money for a program or a ticket stub. You know, whatever and it is. Even if it's... Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, and well, obviously the East Coast is where, you know, the, the the majority of this stuff is. You know, nobody was writing, you know, T206 cards. You know, Portland, if, if a house in Portland is was built in 1908, that's old. You know, I've mentioned before, nobody was hiding T206 cards, you know, in the walls, right. you know, of a house being built in Portland. But on the East Coast, right. you've got houses built, you know, with old horsehair lath and plaster. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, there's old stuff in, in, you know, in East Coast, you know, collections and houses and basements and stuff, you know, so much more susceptible to loss. I mean, have you ever have you ever lost part of your collection to water damage or fire? Oh yes, yeah. Two, two separate occasions. Actually, I, I lost some at this house because I had a um, my man cave, and my office is downstairs. Unfortunately, uh, outside is an outdoor faucet, and the faucet uh, had yeah. been leaking for a couple of years. And I didn't really think anything of it other than it was a washer. So we changed the washer a few times. So me being the home handyman I am, I power washed the back deck, and I, I ran the power washer through that. Uh, faucet, I come inside and I literally had a heart attack because the whole rug is filled with water and it cuts through where wow. the uh, water faucet was. The pipe actually burst into part of my Green Bay Packer program collection. Well, Fortunately, oh my gosh. It wasn't, I didn't lose anything that was overly rare. There was only a, a couple of programs from the 60s that got ruined. The majority were from the 70s and 80s, but still, I lost about fifty programs out, out of that um, out of that flood, and I lost a big box of uh, one of those five thousand count boxes of newer football cards. So it was no big deal; They're, they weren't rare in any way, shape, or form. My other house, I had a bad flood, and I lost a bunch of nineteen fifties programs over there. That one really hurt. Uh, that that was a major yeah. major loss over there. But in any event, you know, yeah. I, I, I pick up the pieces and I move on. Type of thing. Yeah, and ditto. Even I had something. I had something happen. Wow. I saying ditto. Even I had something happen. I had a, you know, a you know a gutter spout, you know, you know that I have pushed away from my driveway, and one of my kids removed it, and so water was just flowing down the foundation on the outside, and eventually it wicked into my man cave, and I came downstairs, and I I I have a large collection of uncut sheets, and I smelled something in the room and I noticed some black mold over there. It doesn't take long, about a week. And I pulled some programs out. I could see mold or uh, some uh, uncut sheets out and I could see mold streaking up them. So, I mean, uh, you know, I'm rolling them out into basement, trying to clean them. And, uh, you know, and I have some PSA boxes with my cards, you know, with my cards in them. And some of those had mold on the back. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm down there vacuuming up, getting a half a filter, cleaning up. So I lost a couple uncut sheets. Luckily it was, you know, like 1974, you know, were the ones that were were damaged, but you yeah. know, had a couple of, like 1984 yeah. sheets where I was like, oh my gosh, but you know, yeah, I mean, it happens, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, it, well, you know, and that, that's what that's what I'm that's what I'm curious about is you know how many collections were lost in Irma and Harvey, right? Nobody knows, right. and and again, that's why I I, I think a, a great learning lesson from these hurricanes are make sure that you're your man cave, your collection area is weatherproof. Make sure you don't have anything on the floor. Uh, make sure, yeah. you know, if you have something truly value, valuable, make sure it is in a, you know, a very safe location. We have a, a rare program or whatever. Make sure it's on a high shelf. Make sure it's properly um, covered, you know, with a, with a good 
plastic covering or whatever the case, you know, whatever you're mm-hmm. using for it, so on, archival type, so on and so forth. And I think that's a that's a yeah. good lesson for everybody to learn from this. As far as my collection is concerned, I have a lot of bookshelves where I keep all my binders of cards, and I got probably about 300 hardcover books, and I got a ton of media guides, so on and so forth. But I would never think where I have storage space in these little uh, like cubbies there that the water would actually come through them. And, and that's what I, I just found devastating to me, which I thought I was taking the right precautions, and I ended up, you know, <laughs> ruining a bunch of programs. And, again, there was nothing overly valuable, you know, that, that was ruined. But it could so have it was been. just a point that, yeah, exactly. But it could exactly. have been. My, yeah. my older programs and older yearbooks are, are stored safely. I always, I've always stored them uh, in, in, a, in a separate location and kept them uh, more weatherproof and temperature-proofed at the same time. So it's a it's a strong lesson for everybody to learn. It's sad, and I, and uh, I'm waiting to hear because we have a bunch of subscribers both in Texas and in Florida. I talked to oh, Harvey Aronson over the um, actually yesterday. I talked to him, and he said he was very fortunate. He lives in Jacksonville, and uh, he said there was just some flooding. None of he didn't wasn't impacted in any way, shape, or form. So that, that worked out good. But I know I have a few people uh, down Miami, Dade County area. Naples area who subscribe and uh, I haven't heard anything from them so hopefully they're okay and their collections are okay at the same time. Yeah, their it's a lesson to be learned, unfortunately. Yeah. Those hard uh, those hard covers, you know the program the program right, uh, you know right. the program top loaders are, are really helpful. Uh, right. You know because I had some programs or excuse me I had some uh, some uncut sheets in those uncut sheet top loaders that was on the ground. Uh, so I mean, you know, those didn't get damaged by the same moisture that ruined a 1974, you know, rolled up sheet I had. So, right. You know, and I, I do yeah, recommend I mean, for any any program collection, utilize the hardcover, um, the hardcovers, not the, the yeah, not the generic plastic, or and, not even the eight and a half by eleven uh, Ultra Pro one pocket sheet, which I know a lot of programs yeah. can fit in. Make sure, especially anything, in my opinion, 1969 and back, put it in those hard cases. It, it's well worth the price of getting them. You can, you know, they're not that expensive. You can buy them in bulk on eBay or Amazon, yep. and uh, they're well worth it. Well worth it. Well, you just saved so, you, just, you just saved me a bunch of money because there are no Seattle Seahawks programs pre 1969. So true, true. But you have yep. your Red Grange <laughs> program, which is. Uh, Incredibly valuable, in my opinion, with a lot of one-to-ones. So you got to really take care of that those stubs and those programs. You should be uh, sleeping with them under your pillow at night. Type of thing. We'll see. So, uh, I, uh, I, I was mentioning to you before the show. I picked up kind of a white whale of uh, of a of an item from my Grange uh, collection. I found uh, a past Gridiron Great contributor and a guest had a had a ticket stub on eBay that I took offline with them and, and purchased some. Very, very happy. So. That's great. That's great. I'm, I'm very happy for you because I know you've been looking for that, that ticket for a long, long time. And that, to me, is very rare. I, I don't yeah. know what anybody says. That's a, that's a rare, rare uh, of a ticket stub, if there ever was one. So that's a great pickup, Joe. And I want to know what your next elusive pickup will be. <laughs> and what you will find in the near future. Well, I'm sure you're the same. I'm sure you're the same way, Captain. But half of the stuff that I want, I don't know. I want it until it pops up, and then like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, you know, I still got a, you know, I still got a four or five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Four or five years ago, I was collecting, you know, sets, and then you know, suddenly, you know, Andy Becker is showing me. You know, you know, programs and ticket stuff. I'm like, oh, those are fascinating. You know, and then I, you know, I kind of did a pivot, and you know, I'm in my collection. So, you know, uh, to you me, know, the, the history of a of a program or a ticket stub is uh, priceless. It, it's it's well worth the investment, just from a historical perspective, to have a program or have a ticket stub from a game from many many years ago. It's just to me, it's just it's a great feeling to say the least. All right, we're going to move along because our guest is ready, and I'd like to introduce him to our ah. listening audience. Our guest tonight was born in Madison, Wisconsin, and he's a lifelong Green Bay Packers fan. 
He's a graduate of Southern Illinois University and has lived in Marion, Illinois for the past 55 years. He's a retired information technology administrator from John A. Logan College, and his current occupation is a grandpa, and he feels it's a great (laughs) job. He is an expert on the 1962 post-serial football card set, and I urge everyone who is listening to check out his website on postserialfootball.com. I'd like to welcome to our show this evening, Mr. Robin Falls. Robin, welcome to the show this evening. Thank you, Bob. Joe, how are you guys tonight? We're Excellent. good. We're good. We're good. Good. I gotta ask. Good to, good. I gotta ask you to start good to be off. On with you. I gotta ask you to start off. How the heck did you become a collector of the 1962 post serial football cards? Well, like everybody else, I started when I was a kid. Uh, the first post serial cards I got, I was six years old. We lived in Paxton, Illinois, and uh, I don't know how we got started. I had an older brother, and uh, we started getting some tops, some flares, and some post football cards that fall. And I, I'd take them and I'd line them up on the floor in the hall and arrange them how you know I wanted. And you know that was my thing. Of course, six years old, that's what you do. Wow. Um, I, I love the post serial cards. You know, they had the to me they had the most color. You know, and they had. They had those neat pictures on them that some people thought they were hokey, but I thought they were great. You know, the guys with mm-hmm. the, they call them posed action. Um, the photographer, photographer actually called them uh, the old hucking buck, but that's what uh, <laughs> that's, that's what they were. And I thought they were I thought they were fantastic. You know, so those really caught my interest back then. Um, there was a there was a guy that was not in the set, was Ron Kramer, and for huh. whatever reason I, I don't know if his name was because it was Ron that was close to Robin, or whatever it was, but uh, I really wanted to be Ron Kramer, not just you know watching play or anything like that. I wanted to be him. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. of course you know <laughs> that wasn't possible. So the <laughs> next best thing I could do was I could make my own post serial football cards. So I took a piece of paper and I drew a line down the middle, you know, where the photograph went, and I colored in his, his picture, and then I cut <laughs> something out of the paper and put it on the right side <laughs> and pasted it on, okay, top of a, on top of a Joe Schmidt 62 tops. <laughs> I still that's got wow. it. Right? I love that. That's, that's <laughs> a, Absolutely love it. That's, that's well, incredible. Yeah, I, I, Joe and I uh, were talking about this uh, before the show. I had a handful of 62 post serial uh, football and baseball cards when I was a kid. Um, I don't remember them that much because I was four years old in 62. <clears throat> I do remember more the Salada tea coins because my mom yeah. and dad drank a lot of tea. So I would get those coins and mm. play with them, yada, yada, yada. And then fast forward many years later, Kellogg's had those football cards in the 70 and 71 cereal boxes. So it would bug my mother to buy more cereal so I could get more cards out of them. And she was very steadfast. She would buy the two boxes, and that was it. So it was many years later I, I completed all those sets. But that's amazing to, to be that little at that time and to actually have that kind of recollection to, to put when we were playing with them and, and wanting to be that player. That's just great. That's a, that's amazing. Well, By the way, Bob, this, I, oh, sorry, Rob. No, go ahead. Now you, I was just going to ask a question. Uh, this, I just going to notice. I noticed something. You're, this is the second week in a row, or second show in a row that we've had uh, rabid Packer fans on as guests. And uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to figure out where 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 Bob is meeting all these Packer fans, uh, and trying to figure out when the last time we had a Seahawks fan on. Hmm. Anyway, did, did we ever have a Seahawks? Seahawks Blaisdell, brother Mike Blaisdell would be the closest. Mike Blaisdell would be the closest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's true. All these Packer fans running in the same circles. I can tell you about Packers fans. Packers are really America's team. That's that's why you run into them everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on to the next question. I'm still singing from that Seahawks off on Sunday. (laughs) Well, that's right. 
Uh, yeah, the, the talent, the talents of the Seattle Seahawks were not on display on Sunday. That's for sure. Uh, no, love your website, I, Robin. Your your, you. your website's amazing. I was I was looking at it earlier in the week, and then you know before the show. Absolutely love your segue from you know the 1958 you know greatest game ever played, and then you move right into 62 poster. It's like the greatest game ever played. Speaking of greatest game, let's talk about the greatest set ever. <laughs> I, I absolutely loved it. So. Uh, your 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 website. How'd you, how how and when did you decide to start a website for your beloved sixty two set? That, that's well, quite a commitment. I, I guess started you know like everybody else as a kid you quit collecting and then you start again at some point. And I started yeah. doing baseball around seventy nine or eighty and did that for twenty years. And then I had a chance to sell some cards and so and make some money off of them from another collector. And I did that, and in doing so, I was introduced to eBay, and, well, you know, there's everything on eBay. And mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought of a couple of cards that I messed up when I was a kid, the Paul Horning and the Bart Starr Post Serial cards. I put them on a plaque, glued them on, regretted it, took them off later as an adult, then they looked horrible. And so I decided... Uh, someday I'm going to replace those. And so I did, and I found them on eBay, and that got me. I got the Horning first, and I got the Star, yep. and I noticed that Star's card was different than the one I that I had. It had yellow pants, and it didn't look like the same picture. And it's like, wait a minute, aren't they all the same? You know, there's only 200 cards. That is interesting. Then I, then I figured out that, it had to have come from a different box and that they were printing on more than one box. Then I got a panel off of eBay. And then Kirk Robinson, I think you guys are familiar with Kirk. <laughs> yep. Yep. Very good man. Yep. <laughs> he Very good well. guy. He was selling off his panels at the time that I was just getting into it. And I was fortunate enough to uh, get several from him. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. It's, you know kind of sidetracked, but the first panel I bought from him was one of the more rare Great Nuts Flake 16-ounce panels with Joe Krakowski on it. He's up there in the guides as a high-dollar card. And mm-hmm. so I get it from him in the mail, and I look at it, and you know how those cards are sometimes. They're just absolutely horribly out of registration. And this is just the worst I'd ever seen. And I emailed him back, and I said, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, here I am, a newbie, and I know he's like the king of panels. And <laughs> I, I said, I'm sorry, but, man, that was a lot of money. Can I send it back? And you could just you could just read in the email. It was like, blah, 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 blah. okay. The, the nice guy that he is, he says, yeah, I'll take yep. it back. And we, I ended up getting a lot more from him, so it worked out both ways. But anyway, Um Kurt, but no, Kurt, I, has told I, us, uh, Kurt has told us privately one of his biggest regrets was, you know, starting to sell that, you know, post-serial set. And, yeah, he's told me that several times over the years, and we've tried to get him back into it, you know. I've, I've done what I can to help him a little bit, and he's worked at it hard. To, and he's gotten quite a few back, so it's a good thing yep. for him. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the cards are different, and, you know, and I noticed that the, the – key to understanding the whole set was the panels. And so the more panels I could get, the more pictures I could get, the more information I could put together, I could figure out how many cards there were of different variations of everything. And so that's what I was working on. Uh, 2006, I was selling a card on eBay, and I got a question from a potential buyer. The guy's name is David Charles. And since he and I have gone back for years and years and years, back and forth for years on post-serial football stuff, but he asked me how come there was a line on the right side of a Zeke Bratkowski card. And I told him, well, it's because that's where the fold line was at the edge of the box. And it clicked with him. It's like, here we go. And ever since then, we've been just trading information like crazy. And he he's really interested in, he does what he calls an extended set, which are players that never made the post-serial 200-card cut, but, you know, were were in the NFL in in 61 and 62. And so he creates those. He prints them. He sells them sometimes on eBay. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, 
yeah, he. I mean, it's a really neat. It's a really neat set if you if you've ever seen them. I don't know if you have or not, but he. If you look every three or four months, he'll be selling some on eBay. Um, hmm. He's up to like two hundred extra cards now. So uh, anyway, yeah, he I've was seen, interesting. I've seen that. some of. I've seen some of his work. It's it's very nice, and uh, they're very. Again, how many players didn't have a card, and how many players got a card who never played it down in either the NFL or the AFL? Yeah, you know, that type totally. of situation. Yeah, no, that's it's great. And he's got a lot of neat bios with him, a lot of neat stories, you know, on guys that, you know, still have interesting things, and you know, uh, a lot of collectors are interested in that sort of thing. Oh yeah, very very much. Yeah. Robin, do you have a favorite card or advertising piece or box from that set? Uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, there's a lot of neat stuff. There, you know, and a lot of it I don't have, and I would, would like to have, but I do have some pieces. Uh, there's proof photos. There's uh, grocery store display pieces. Hmm. Uh, oh wow, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I think Kurt just came up with the best one. It's it's a it's a centerpiece that was uh, supposed to be used as the main attraction in the uh, grocery stores, and on the top are three oversized cards of uh, United Horning and Bill Kilmer, and that's oh, a really neat piece. There are only there are only that I know of two of them in existence. There may be more, but those are the only ones I know of. Um, there were a lot of things with the set. Um, in the stores, you could get uh, little booklets that were uh, advertising all of the uh, different uh, products that went along with the General Foods promotion, you know, folks being part of it. But there was also Tang and Swan's Down Cake and Gravy Train Dog Food. And these little booklets, there were four of them with uh, Horning, Arnett, Huff, and Sonny Jurgensen. And you could get those on the way out of the store if you asked for them. If you bought a certain amount and you asked for them, they'd give you the the booklet. So those are those are a little bit rare, but you can you can find them every once in a while. Um, there's action toys that came in rice crinkles boxes. And of course action boxes. Action toys, a, pa- a passer and a kicker, and it had a little rubber band no on the back. Yeah, it had a little rubber band on the back, and and you would. You'd cock it so that either the leg or the arm, and you you put a little football with a little hole in the back, and football fit on the peg for a hand or a toe, <laughs> and then you would get it cocked, and you'd flip a little little button at the bottom, a little lever, and the football would go flying. That I that I've never wow. seen. That I had no idea. Wow. You know, it, wow. so many of these sets, I'd be willing to bet the modern day collector knows more about the set than the person who made it back in 1962. Cause at some point, you know, for the, you know, the cereal company had somebody who was in charge of this and I'd be willing to bet there, there's stuff that they had no idea about. Like if you showed them variations, like, well, this is the yellow pants variation. They're like, Oh, I, I, I guess the printer screwed that up. You know, it's, it's like the 48 leaf set. We know all the variations because we obsess about it. And I'm, pretty sure the printer back then would be like, oh, I, I guess the printer made a mistake. You know, they, 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 they would just have no idea. Yeah, and with this set, you kind of get the same thing. You get them on different boxes, and so every time they did a different box, they did a different set of rotogravure plates. And so, uh-huh. in essence, every time you do that, they're going to be different. So yep. you get that. But then you also get uh, a lot of times where the ink colors that they put in, you know, the CYMK that they put in to uh, print the uh, boxes with wouldn't always be the exact same color. And so you'd get different variations. The grass will be darker or lighter. The buildings, you know, will be different. The sky will be different and so on. Well, you know, I can see see very clearly the difference of of the player cards based on the different serial boxes themselves just because of the printing and the inks on the boxes. And um, something I want you to talk about, we'll, we'll talk about it in, in the next couple of questions, the amount of variations, when you listed how many variations there were, I was just shocked to realize, you know, my set is complete at 200 cards, but you stated there's 548 cards in a master set. 
of the 62 post serial um, of of these cards. I, I was just blown away. There's 348 variations. That's a, that's incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, when the, yeah, and the reason is they to to get the 200 cards, um, you have to have at least 49 boxes to get those. But that didn't that didn't fill out the whole number that they wanted to uh, promote in the stores, and so there's a hundred and one different possible boxes you could get, including the little individual alphabets boxes. Um, wow! And when when you get all done with adult prints and everything, you end up with 548. Wow! And it is large number. Yeah. <laughs> that's a master set. That, that's a heck of a master set. I love it. I, oh. I, I'd be well. Yeah, I, I, I love. I love a collector who immerses themselves into a set. You know, or, you know, or, or just something like that. I mean, because it is a, it is a knowledge, just, just a, a wealth of knowledge. And I just, I wish there was somewhere that you know you could go to a central. I mean, like, have you written a gridiron great article about this? I don't remember seeing this. Or is it coming no. up, Robin? No. no, actually, we're gonna we're gonna have it uh, in the next issue. We'll get an interview, and we're gonna yeah. have a lot of this information in for for our readers. Yeah, man, it's it's incredible. Awesome. I I I I tell you, I probably know I know less now than I knew before about the sixty two post serial set after you know looking at the website and reading your responses to the in the interview. It's just it's it's amazing to me. Amazing, truly amazing. Nice. Well. Robin, we always like to ask people about crazy stories, you know, for collecting. I mean, you know, we've we've heard people talk about meeting people in dark parking lots, you know, the Walgreens, or you know, chasing chasing Steve Largent down a you know down an airport gangway, you know, to get an autograph. Actually, that was me. Never mind. Uh, do you have any any what's one of your more memorable collecting stories about this set in the in the quest for the master set? Um. Well, one of the things that's on the website is is I've got a section on there, uh, a photographer section about who shot the pictures and how I came to the conclusion that it was Jim Lawhead from Dallas, Texas. He and his son-in-law, Brad Bradley, um, shot the photos. Um, in fact, I think you did, a Bob, you did an article in the uh, SCD in 1990. Um, oh, yeah, about... Yep. about the slot of coins, yeah. And you named you named Jim Lawhead, Lawhead at the time uh, as the guy that sold the pictures to uh, the slot of people, and that that helped me um, tie you, you know make a stronger conclusion that it was Jim Lawhead. Um, through through the story, I, I went through a lot of people to to find this out. Dan maybe he wrote some. Baseball post serial books, Vernon Beaver, who was the Packers photographer, George Izo, mm-hmm. who was quarterback with the uh, Redskins, um, Bob Lilly's wife answered an email. Um, huh. I talked to Brad Bradley, the um, son in law of Jim Lawhead, who worked with him, you know, for 30 years or so before uh, Mr. Lawhead passed away. A couple, three times, and uh, I got off on uh, a tangent because he told me one time, he said, well, I don't know that we ever did post-serial photos, but uh, the reality I came to figure out later was they were shooting 100,000 pictures a year. How's he going to know where they all go? You know, these guys were on the road, and there's a fantastic story if from the website, if you want to link to it, in Sports Illustrated. The name of it is uh, Mad Hatter in Photo Land. It's a guy, written by a guy named Bud Shrake, and it's, it's from 64. It's a great story, and it tells, tells about how these guys traveled all over the country, and they would literally drive all night and shoot all day and drive all night and shoot all day, and they did that for months at a time. And all the places they went and what they did and what kind of life they had. But, uh, wow. When I got all done... Uh, all of the circumstantial evidence says that there isn't any other conclusion that it was uh, Jim Lawhead who shot the pictures. Um, 
I'm still looking for uh, hard evidence, you know. Um, I would like to find uh, the originals. There are proof photos, you know, but you've got to tie them back to the source, and I haven't been able to do that yet. Mm -hmm. Still working on that. And that's, you know, that's a lot of fun. Um, So I've I've had a ton of fun with that side of it, looking for... uh, for the guy that shot the the Huck and Buck pictures. <laughs> Boy, wow. That that that's pretty that's pretty advanced. Trying to look for the guy who shot the pictures. I think it's Kirk, isn't it? Correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, but Fleer set. Kirk has actually identified what game most of the pictures that the sixty one Fleer set were right. taking. Like, all right, right. here's here's Charles Charles Bednarik's picture, obviously tanking taken at Franklin Field. Uh, you know, the, the, they played at Franklin Field on these days, but we think that, the, you know, he's narrowed it down to which game most of these pictures were taken on, which is pretty advanced. I, I, I love that. Yeah, that, that, his information on that is, is just amazing. But, again, you know, when you're looking at those pictures in the 62 Post serial set, I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, they were either training camp pictures and or they were taken after a practice. I would assume, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, there were uh, eight teams that, that trained in the Midwest, and they were all training camp. Okay. Uh, right. two, two on the West Coast, the Rams and the 49ers, and they were also training camp. And then the mm-hmm. four teams in the East, uh, the Giants, the Eagles, uh, Redskins, and Colts, they were all taken probably either right before or just after the season started, and they were all taken in their stadiums. Okay, all right. So that's good information to know because, again, uh, it's, you know, looking at those shots, there were different shots than, like you said earlier, than what was known at that time. There were really classic classic poses for the, for those players. And you got to actually see the entire player, which was nice. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, that was the neat part. The, the, yeah. So yeah, those... You got those to so that was a plus with the, with those cards. And again, looking back, I looked at them during the week before the show, and I, to me, they're just they're classic 1960s football cards. I mean, they're just beautiful poses, beautiful teams, classic players, so on and so forth. It's it's amazing. Robin, do you have a current want list? Uh, and if so, what are you actually looking for? <laughs> do you have a, any white whales uh, that you need to to pick up? This this should be good. <laughs> well, you guys, one of the items that I was going to talk about on the uh, my favorite um, things out of the set is a is a Great Nuts Flakes, Flakes box that has the two most rare cards in the set on it, Sam Baker and Dave Baker. And uh, there's a, I detail it on the website, but uh, basically Post uh, set up their own numbering system and, for how they were going to... Uh, Put the put the cards in order up to 200, and then they then they kind of tweaked and manipulated it a little bit because both Sam Baker and Dave Baker had issues. Dave Baker was going into the army right before Post was going to production with these cards, and they had to move him around a little bit because they really didn't know what was going to happen with him, whether they're going to keep him or anything else. This is just my conclusion that I came to. But so they put Sam and Dave on the same panel, a great nuts flakes box. And so these guys, that's the least produced box in the set. These guys end up being the most rare cards. Dave Baker being more rare than Sam's because his other card was on an old flakes box. And it didn't sell tremendously well either, I don't think. Um, being a small size, folks like the larger sizes a little better, I think. Um, but anyway, those two guys are together. I I got that box a few years ago, and that that is my favorite item in the set because to me that's the uh, signature piece in the set because those are the cards and those are the two hardest cards to get, and there they are together. Anyway, I've been trying to put together an autograph set, which, you know, a lot of these guys started, you know, Willie Gallimore died in 64. <laughs> an autograph, and, wow. And Gene Lipscomb wasn't far behind him. You know, these kids, some of these guys died early and their cards are kind of hard to get. Well, 
Dave Baker would be my white whale. Um, he died in '92, uh, I think, but he only played uh-huh. three years in the NFL because he went into the army. And he, when he came back out, he he went to a Christian university in uh, Oklahoma and became the athletic director and coach. And he stayed there the rest of his life. Huh. And so he, the guy probably would have been a Hall of Famer. He had like 25 interceptions in his first three years in the NFL. But you know, nobody's ever heard of him. All right. But anyway, right. His, his card, his card is so rare, and it is the most expensive card in the set. I would like to. See see if there is even one that he signed anywhere. And if I could own it, so much the better. But Why is his wow. so rare again, Robin? Why are his so high? He he is on the yeah, two what? most probably the two most rare cereals oh. in the in the set. Like He's what producer. kind of population are we talking? How many cards? How many examples? Um over ten year period and I and I'll tell you I did not collect every single item over 10 years. But uh, I, out of 10,000 cards, um, there probably were 35 Dave Bakers out of the 10,000. Wow. And the, the thing that wow. you got to remember here is that there, were, there were some that were probably around that. But the thing with him is every time somebody gets one, they sell it because it sells for so much. So you actually see more than in relation to how many there probably are. It's probably close to a one-for-one if the collector, Hmm. you know, doesn't have any set and somebody else finds it. As soon as they find it and they realize it's worth that much, they sell it. So you see more Mm -hmm. than probably would other guys. Huh. Yeah, that got me. So, uh, Robin, any advice for, you you know, a football collector who'd like to immerse himself in the 62 set? 62 bow serial set. What, what kind yeah. of advice would you give them? Well, we talked about the master set a while ago. Uh, a little yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. And you know, if you're doing the 200, um, you're going to end up buying some lots probably. And when you yeah. do, you're going to get some extra cards. And if you look at them, you're probably going to realize that hey, I've got two different Bart Stars, or I've got two different JC <laughs> Carolines, or you know what I mean. And totally. after you get your 200 and you look at them and you figure out, I've got 100 extra cards here that are different, you might want to think about working on uh, what I call a base master set of 412, which is everything except for the double-printed cards. There were like four serials of different sizes that they printed exactly the same as another serial. For instance... The small Great Nut Flakes box were printed exactly the same by top three boxes. 36 cards, six cards per box, and it's the exact same panel on the back of both boxes. So, okay. And if you if you want to do the double prints, then you get up to 548. So, All right, so the 4th, let's re-explain that so our, our audience understands it. The 412 are the single prints with all the various boxes. The 548 is... So the 548... Go ahead, I'm sorry. 548 is everything. It's a double print. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, The 412 would would be easier than the 548 simply because those last 136 cards of the double prints, most of them are really, really difficult to find. Okay. And those are on the more Robin. obscure serial sets, uh, serial boxes on the like, and sizes also. Yeah. So yeah. Right. Robin, if you and Kirk played in a game of 1962 post serial Jeopardy, who would win? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, I think ten years ago he'd have whipped me good. Uh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd give him a pretty good run, run for his money today, I think. All right. Uh, just hearing you rattle those numbers off, I'm like, oh, my gosh. There's probably like four sets that I think I know a lot about 
but I, even every one of my favorite sets, I can think of somebody who knows more about it than I do, and, and it's not even close. So, you know. Well, I'll just say that I've had so much fun that it's not been worth. It's just, you know, you know how it is when you get into something and you get to collecting and, yeah, you yeah. know, every time you find one more nugget of information, it's just like gold. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you live for those. And you live for those. I mean, you know, yeah. I I do a weekly search on eBay for Steve Largent, and there's times where I've missed, you know, searching for it. And then yeah. I, my, I live in constant fear that the one really, really rare 1976 oddball, you know, issue from Franz Bakery or something that no one's ever heard of comes up that one time, and I'm not looking. But uh, I, I still look every damn week. Yeah, and I, I can't tell you how many times somebody has said, did you see this, and I didn't. And it's like, oh, are you kidding? I missed yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. It's amazing to me because, like I said, I thought I, I knew a little bit about the 62 post serial stuff, but obviously uh, the information <laughs> going through it was, it was me. It was like Christmas Day all over again, uh, you know, just reading the website and seeing all this stuff. And, yeah. I, and I knew, you know, that I've seen display boxes over the years. I've seen the, the uh, smaller boxes over the years, so on and so forth. I just really never put it into perspective like you've done that, there's all these different boxes, all these different cereals, all these different variations, and it, it is a collecting journey of a lifetime that you could spend just collecting 62 yep. post cereal. It, it, it's truly amazing to me. It really, uh, <coughs> excuse me, it makes my my 200 card sets seem meager, uh, <laughs> you know, among it all. And I now now I'm got to go through every card to see if I actually got a, a rare variation <laughs> card or whatever. You know, type of thing, which I doubt seriously I do. But uh, well, and, bet, and my duplicates I'll too. Do. I got to go through. Yeah, I bet you do. And you know, you just looked at it and you didn't think of it that way. But since you're thinking of it that way, I bet you do have some. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And it's, a, it's the same thing with the. Um, it's the same thing with the '62 uh, Salada set. There's several variations yeah. on that. And um, that I always thought was interesting also. Even though I don't have those variations, I just got the base set. And that's it. Wow. Well, Robin, I don't know what else to say, but thank you. This, this was incredible. And I want to also um, state uh, it was a great interview that uh, you completed for me with some great pictures, which will be in the fall issue of Great Iron Greats Magazine in a few, and that will be out middle of October. Uh, but this is going to be uh, a first, in my opinion, for a lot of people to realize what is actually out there on 62 Post Serial, because it is probably going to be the yeah. most comprehensive article uh, in in its history talking about the 62 Post Serial. So it's going to be great. I, I truly appreciate your your time and effort with it, and uh, thanks for preserving it, because it is something uh, truly amazing, to say the least. Yeah. So, Robin, thank you so much for being on the show this evening, and we will be in touch. And uh, check your email, because i I got a couple of side questions for you that I'll, I'll be sending out tomorrow. Uh, okay. Very, very good. Robin Paul, All right. 1962 Post, serial football expert on the podcast. Thank you, Robin. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. We're time. uh, Time's running out, and we're going to go to our goal line stance now. Joe, I'm going to hand off to you. What did we learn on tonight's show? That was impressive. uh, I'm, I'm jealous of someone who can immerse themselves into a set like that. You know, the 84 top set comes to mind. That's one of the first sets I really started collecting as a kid. I wrote an article about it and I, in Gridiron. I forget when. It was 25. Let's see. It would have been 2004? No. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, 2004 on the 25th. 2009 on the 20, 20, yeah, or whatever, some anniversary. Yeah. That. And yeah. even yeah. then, when I was writing the article, I was discovering stuff about the set I didn't know. Uh you know the eighty the forty eight the forty eight leaf set when I wrote that you know trimmed and doctored article I mean there's there's people Scott Alpaz one of those guys who knows more about this set than I do 
you know, and I reached uh-huh. out to him for a couple things. Uh, Mike Taverner knew more about the printing of it than I do. I mean, there's there's not one set that I know that I would say I am the expert on, and it's not not even uh-huh. close. Uh, uh-huh. You know, I mean, yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, I'm, I'm impressed. To me, I've always stated I'm a generalist. I don't feel I have an expertise in any area of memorabilia because I've seen it, a lot of it. I know a little bit about all the different areas, helmets, footballs, uniforms, yeah. photographs, publications. If you want to say anything I know a little more about than, than other people's probably publications yeah. because that's my first love. And, you know, football cards in general from 48 to 88, I thought, like I said, I thought yep. I knew – a little about the 62 Salada set and the 62 Post set. 62 Post, I, I, like I said, I know 10% of what was going on in that set and all the different variations as compared to what I learned over the past couple of weeks. Uh, it's just truly yeah. amazing to me, truly amazing. And, again, it's the nice part of our hobby when we share knowledge, we share information so that the true collectors out there who want to collect something, for example, let's say there's a Green Bay Packer, uh, team set collector, and he starts out putting together that 62 post packer set. Now he realizes there's more than just a handful of cards there. Now he's got the variations. Now he's got the cards on the boxes. Now he's got a lot of different other things he can look for, which really yeah. adds, you know, to his collection and adds to his knowledge of, of uh, you know, yeah. early early uh, 1960s Packer glory year football cards. And, uh, and there's yeah, a that, website nice for him to go. go. Yeah, and there's a website for him yep. to go when he realizes where the hell's Ron Kramer, <laughs> you know. Yep, yeah, exactly. And uh, and to me, yeah. that's the beauty of the hobby, and that's the beauty of, of trying to share this knowledge. And I do remember many years ago when I first started writing for SCD, Sports Collector's Digest, back in the late 80s, early 90s, I was always asked, well, what's your specialty? What's your specialty? I said, okay, well, I know, I know some – about oddball football cards, and I also know a lot about publications. So I still remember the editor at the time said to me, all right, you're going to write a column on publications and just keep writing about oddball football card sets. And as I started writing more and more about oddball football card sets, I started learning a lot more. I thought I knew something about them. I knew, I knew diddly squat after I did the article because I'm saying to myself, I can't believe all the information I found for it, so on and so forth. And the two examples I used, the one example I used in particular was that 62 Salada article I wrote, which people still use as a reference to this day, which I'm just shocked by because there's really not a lot of information about it. And, uh, you know, it, it's a source to go by. And it, same thing, 62 Post. Now we have a, a great handle on what's going on with 62 Post yeah. so that any collector has got to be very, very comfortable in collecting it, you know. So Yeah, uh, that's, that's totally. Great. That's great. Cool. All right, uh, a couple more things before we uh, wrap it up tonight. Again, we've been sponsored by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website, msbsportscards.com, and also by BST Auctions. Check out their website for the upcoming fall auction. Yeah, at, at and by BST the way, Auctions. let me interject real quick. Let me interject real quick. Hey, BST guys, I keep getting emails from you uh, announcing it. When's the uh, when's the preview coming? And by the way, you know, you know, can a can a couple of a uh, couple people in the hobby, like you know, the captain and I, can we get a sneak peek here? Andy, John, help a brother out, guys. Come on, <laughs> let's get a well, peek. They, it will be coming out, I'm sure, very, very quickly, because there's going to be some incredible stuff in that fall collection, especially from Mike's uh, Mike's collection. It's it's yeah. amazing. Well, Bob, it's a man true. of a man of your stature, a man of your stature. The ambassador, you know, of football, the captain, uh, you know, at least you should, you know, have a preview. I mean, I can understand why a, you know, why a lump like me doesn't, but I mean, you, of all people. Well, I take a, I take a number like everybody else. I don't like playing favorites. I play by the rules, Joe. You know that. I play by the rules. If, if the official throws the flag, I accept it. I'm not in anybody's well, face, I'll, nor do I do any. I don't do any dances after a touchdown either. I sure I gave the ball to the the, uh, the ref. And give I the ball to the ref. Them. Act like you've been there before. Well, I'm I'm just going to throw it out there. If you guys want some opinions on some uh, some quick picks, 
the, the captain's a man of honor. I, I, Joe Squires, will take a look. So. All right, we're down to 10 seconds. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. <laughs> we we got another show coming up next week with author Chris Willis, who was on our show about five years ago. He's got a great new book that came out on the Orang Indians, and Jim Thorpe is his, it's oh, an yeah. excellent book, great read, and we're going to talk to Good our one. friend from NFL Films, Chris Willis. That's it for tonight. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in about a week. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.